This is Deep Dive. I'm Wang Zihan. The world has been mired in uncertainties in 2023. Problems such as economic recession, extreme weather conditions, and political turmoil emerged one after another, creating huge challenges and troubles for humanity. People feel the urgent need to find some certainty and a way forward. In this special edition, we will recount some major events that took place over the past year that are still casting significant influence on world affairs and our lives. First, we take a look at the latest conflict between Israel and Hamas. The fighting that erupted on October the seventh has left the entire Gaza Strip almost flattened, with more than twenty thousand dead, making it the deadliest and most destructive of the five wars between the two sides since Hamas seized the Gaza Strip in two thousand and seven. For more insights into the field between Israel and Hamas, my colleagues Fei Fei and Ding Hang held a discussion shortly after the fighting broke out. Let's try to put the really long history and really complex cultural, religion, and historical backgrounds into simpler words. Here is what is the root of the conflict between Israelis and Palestinians? In other words, when two sides, when the two parties of different kinds have been fighting against each other for decades, for generations. It's really difficult to mend the rift to to strive for a you know sentimental reconciliation. This is the reality in international politics. Now, in my analysis, the root of their conflicts is actually a combination of historical hatred against each other, rivalry for realistic resources. Um, uh, living spaces and also geopolitics involving some external powers, notably the United States.、Uh, the former U.S. President Donald Trump, for instance,、um, has been a very, very irresponsible figure on this particular issue, simply because he wanted to, you know, cement his domestic political support from the evangelicals in America. And after Biden came into office. He has done very little in terms of correcting the wrongs committed by the Donald Trump administration. So, really, I think fundamentally, the only way out is really to to restore this two-state solution. This idea that a peace formula has to be based on a Palestinian state established in territories that Israel captured in in 1967. This idea is supported by many countries, including China. And before Donald Trump, every administration in the White House has been supporting this idea on, until Donald Trump. But really, I think the current problem is that it's very, very difficult to restore the peace talks between Israel and Palestine because the political situation, the political climate condition, is simply not there. And here. I think the internal politics of both Israel and Palestine are actually at play. Apart from this very far-right political trend that we have seen in Israel in recent years, with the coming back of、uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu, we also need to keep in mind that、uh, in recent years Hamas has also been increasingly 
gaining popularity and political support in Palestinian society. So it's really, really very challenging to get the two sides back to the negotiation table. The conflict is still ongoing. We also spoke with our field reporter Huang Yue to find out how it has affected the people on both sides of the separation barrier in the West Bank. You went across that quote-unquote border. What do Palestinians think of this barrier? As foreigners, we don't really need a permit to travel to West Bank or to Israel. But for Palestinians living in the West Bank, it's very difficult for them to travel between the West Bank and Israel, or to the East Jerusalem, which is also a disputed area、uh, that Palestinians consider belonging to them. Since October the seventh, many checkpoints have been closed. They even face difficulties traveling within the West Bank. I mean, between the West Bank cities, because those checkpoints have been closed. That they need to make a detour. And speaking of、um, the travel permit, I talked to a Palestinian young man whose name is Rakan. He works at a souvenir shop in Bethlehem, a popular tourist city in the West Bank. The young man told me that first of all. The permit is very expensive. This permission it's a limited, limited. It means just for a few days, twenty-two days, and it's、uh, from five a.m. until seven p.m. We have to pay two thousand five hundred shekel for each twenty-two days. That's around six hundred and fifty U.S. dollars. This young man who graduated from university about two years ago, he he told me. That two thousand five hundred shekels means one and a half month salary, and now since the Israel Gaza conflict, there's no tourism at all in Bethlehem, so he might not secure his job. Not to mention the salary, and even if he could afford this amount of money every twenty two days, he still couldn't get it because he's a single young man. But I can't get the permission because they say, or they ask us. To marry the girl and then they get baby, because they are thinking, if we have a family, we cannot do anything wrong inside Jerusalem. And also, you know, there is a blacklist system. If you did something bad, you had this kind of record,、uh, you wouldn't get this permit. Your family members wouldn't get that either. It's kind of like a very strict background check. And a lot of Palestinians actually work or manage to find a job on the Israeli side.、Um, I'm curious about their situation there. All the travel permit have been revoked, so they have returned to West Bank. In addition to the travel permit, the security screenings for the travelers have also become a lot stricter. So. Currently, it's almost impossible for most Palestinians to travel across the border to Israel. So, currently in the West Bank, the West Bank is more like what they called an open-air prison. People living inside face lots of challenges, and those, like you mentioned, those who used to work in Israel now they are totally unemployed. On the other hand, Israel is also facing problems since these Palestinian laborers couldn't come. The Gaza crisis has made the world more fragile, pushing it closer to the brink of a deep and dangerous abyss due to geopolitical conflicts, economic recession, and worsening climate conditions. 2023 is poised to become the hottest year on record. Extreme weather events became more frequent and led to heavier losses than ever before. In August. 
typhoon Doksuri unleashed heavy rainfalls in China's inland regions, including capital Beijing and the neighboring Hebei province. My colleague Su Yi spoke with field reporter Zhou Yixin about details on the ground in hard-hit Georgia, a city just dozens of kilometers southwest of Beijing. Yixin, first give us some background. Where is the city of Georgia and why is the flooding this time so serious? Yes, Zhuzhou is located in the central part of Hebei province at the junction of the second and third geographical ladders in the country backed by the Taihang Mountains, and the terrain of Zhuzhou is very low. And to understand the flooding Zhuzhou this time, we should know about the main rivers affecting the city, namely the Beijuma River, Dashi River, and Xiaoqing River. The Beijuma River flows to Zhuzhou, and the Dashi River, originated from Fangshan District in Beijing, also flows to Zhuzhou. Together with Xiaoqing River, these three rivers meet in Zhuzhou. And the flood in Zhuzhou was mainly caused by the large flow of these three rivers. And why is there such a huge flood? The direct cause is the extreme rainstorm in the Juma River and Dashi River Basin. In the early morning of July 31st, the most violent torrential rain suddenly fell, and the Beijuma River and Dashi River could not bear it. So we know that the Beijuma River, Dashi River, and Xiaoqing River converge in Zhuzhou to form the Baigou River, and the riverbed of the Baigou River cannot bear the total water flow of these three rivers. The terrain of Zhuzhou is extremely low and flat, but remember Zhuzhou is backed by the Taihang Mountains. Therefore, the torrents that erupted from the mountains rushed directly to Zhuzhou. But after the flood arrived in Zhuzhou, due to the flat terrain, the flood stagnated and could not be discharged. That's why the city was severely affected. To better understand what's behind the more frequent occurrences of extreme weather events, Sui also spoke with environmentalist Ma Jun. Do you think we're going to see more of this kind of extreme weather in the coming years? And do you think we're capable of achieving the target of the Paris Agreement? Yeah, it is predicted uh, by the meteorologist that uh, you know now we have seen a ending of the three consecutive years of the La Nino effect. And uh, El Nino is in the making, and uh, there's a high possibility for us to experience a mid to strong El Nino effect toward the end of this year and uh, and early next year. If that's the case, then next year could be even hotter than this year. So it's really serious. And over the next five years, uh, there's uh, some 60%. We're going to experience uh, a temporary rise of uh, 1.5 degrees Celsius. Of course, that one year doesn't mean that uh, uh, that we failed the whole target, but still this is a very important uh, threshold. So based on that information, what should be the priorities to avoid those catastrophic scenarios of climate change to take place in the future? Unfortunately, Conclusion reached by the United Nations Environmental Program, UNEP, is that the international community is falling far short of Paris goals with no credible pathway to 1.2 degrees Celsius in place. Of course, 2 degrees is a a different story. 1.5 uh, is a target that countries and regions uh, have agreed to try to bring the temperature rise down to 1.5 degree. 
if if the temperature rise goes beyond that, then it uh, it may lead to some unpredictable and uh, irreversible damage to, uh, and consequences. Uh, if we want to achieve that, uh, then we need to cut our carbon emission very significantly. So basically, we need to make a emission reduction of more than forty percent. What made it worth for Earth this year are the immeasurable harms that are being done to our ocean ecosystem. In August, Japan started discharging nuclear contaminated wastewater from the crippled Fukushima nuclear power plant into the Pacific Ocean. The release will last for decades and may bring about severe consequences, including heightened safety risks along the food chain, the emergence of novel illnesses, and the increased livelihood of getting cancer. Looking back at 2023, we find that uncertainties continue to grow. Casting a darker shadow over our future, but in the meantime, some positive signs have started to emerge and brought hope that the world will start to stabilize and economic recovery is on the rise. In November, the Chinese and U.S. presidents met in San Francisco to anchor bilateral ties after years of downward spiral. We had U.S. correspondent Mark Liu with an overview of the summit between Xi Jinping and Joe Biden. So when President Xi arrived at Filoli, he was sort of walked down a red carpet in the front, and he was greeted by President Biden at the door.、Uh, the two sat down at the long conference table with their delegations facing each other, and that's the first time, you know, that happened in nearly a year, you know, since they actually met each other. And definitely, the U.S. I think put a lot of thoughts in picking that garden as the place to host the Chinese president. And what did、uh, Xi Jinping talk with? Joe Biden. You know, they had those opening remarks, and it contains perhaps the most memorable line was that "Planet Earth is big enough for the two countries to succeed." And one country's success is an opportunity for the other. It is an objective fact that China and the United States are different in history, culture, social system, and development path. However, as long as we respect each other, coexist in peace, and pursue win-win cooperation, we'll be fully capable of rising above differences and find the right way for the two major countries to get along with each other. Now, that certainly strikes a tone, conveying a sense of partnership as opposed to rivalry. President Xi Jinping also said that、uh, the China-U.S. relationship has never been smooth sailing over the past fifty years. China-U.S. relationship has never been smooth sailing over the past fifty years and more, and it always faces problems of one kind or another. Yet it has kept moving forward amid twists and turns. For two large countries like China and the United States, turning their back on each other is not an option. It is unrealistic for one side to remodel the other, and conflict and confrontation has unbearable consequences for both sides.、Um, he also expressed his firm belief in what he called a promising future of the bilateral relationship, and you know, that discussion lasted for at least three hours. And you know, after that. President Biden, you know, through a press conference, said he believed they were some of the most productive and constructive discussions they've ever had. As you know, I just concluded several hours of meetings with President Xi, and I believe they were some of the most constructive and productive discussions we've had. 
Our meetings have always been candid and straightforward. We haven't always agreed, but they've been straightforward. And today, build on the groundwork related over the past several months of high-level diplomacy between our teams. We've made some important progress, I believe. And he said they needed to ensure that uh, the competition didn't veer into conflict. I think that President Xi does tend to make it more, um, we don't have to have this cutthroat competition and squeeze one another out. Biden tends to uh, mention the competition, but that it doesn't get out of control. So I feel like there's pretty close on that, but a little different views on that. And, and Biden always talks about managing the relationship. Biden did break some news, and which was later confirmed also by saying that the two governments had agreed to resume high-level military-to-military communication. And he touched on another area where the two sides found common ground, artificial intelligence, um, saying that um, he and she affirmed the need to address the risk of advanced AI systems and in, improve the technology's safety through joint government talks. We also discussed how important a good China-U.S. relationship is for the Asia-Pacific. The Xi and Biden meeting happened also on the occasion of the, the APEC forum. And what do you think a better or friendlier, at least, China-U.S. ties mean for the APEC in general? I talked with some journalists from different countries around the world. I think I talked to journalists from Spain and Papua New Guinea and they too agree that, yeah, you know, probably one of the biggest things is to watch the Xi-Biden bilateral. And it, it does mean so much to their countries because the two biggest countries are not getting along with each other. It's not good for them. So they flat out said that they're watching it and hoping that things go well. That helps filter on down uh, to the rest of the economies. And it's not just the U.S. I mean, she has used the opportunity. I know today he had... He met with leaders from Fiji, Peru, and Mexico. I think the biggest cooperation in all the various meetings has been sustainability and equality, uh, including all different countries. I know there were particular events, even say, for example, on indigenous people, sort of representation that everyone should you know, have a voice at the table. So that has been a big theme. China, I think they issued uh, a statement that... Uh, you know, said our our policy of providing equal and quality services to foreign investors will not change. So this idea of equality and uh, we will continue to improve the mechanisms for protecting the rights and interests of foreign investors, further shorten the negative list on foreign investment to fully ensure national treatment for investors. This idea of being an open invitation and also equal representation is really one of the biggest themes that I've seen at different meetings throughout. And here in China, the country emerged from the pandemic in 2023. Despite some fluctuations, the Chinese economy gradually got back on the right track. According to World Bank estimates, China's economy will grow 5.2% this year. The annual Central Economic Work Conference held in early December has sent a clear message that the country will do more to stabilize and grow its economy. My colleagues Li Yunqi and Dou Hongyu discussed what was different about this year's meeting against a backdrop of increasing economic headwinds. There has been many rough times for the economic meeting to tackle with. And speaking at this moment, the economic outlook for the next year also doesn't look very optimistic. And for the meeting that just concluded at the end of 2023, what kind of message is it trying to send to investors and people of the world. 
I believe this year's meeting is focusing on both stability and investment. First, about stability. This year's meeting is saying that we need to pursue progress while ensuring stability. And this year, it's bringing up a concept that is rarely used in China's economic documents or meetings, that is to make before break.、Um, there is a Chinese idiom, which is "there's no breaking without making," which means that you need to first abolish the old systems, the old regulations and policies, in order to establish new ones. But right now, China is saying that we need to make before breaking. Which, personally speaking, I believe this is a sense of、uh, seeking more stability while seeking for improvement and reforms, because China is trying to reduce the risks of economic breakdown and continuous economic slowdown by trying to make more cautious decisions. That's why we're saying making before breaking, and. I believe that such stability is the source of confidence for the next year, because firstly, stability can give people confidence to make investment and to buy new things instead of only keeping their money. It also gives confidence to investors and businesses and other countries to make investments in China, and also about the the enhancement or improvement. Uh, this meeting said that we're going to carry out counter-cyclical regulation and cross-cyclical regulation. The first counter-cyclical regulation is to zoom in. It's to focus on the short-term economic ups and downs in our national development. For example, the central banks and governments would add stimulus to spur a slowing economy. By like changing interest rates or taxes or boosting infrastructure investment, these are all short-term regulations that help to smooth out the ups and downs in a short economical period. And the cross-cyclical regulation is to zoom out. It requires us to look at the economic development from a longer time horizon. Sometimes we need to take short-term pains for long-term gains. So that's why China is trying to push forward supply-side structural reform, and to pushing forward policies to reduce carbon emissions, to achieve green development, and to boost birth and increase urbanization. All these policies are to make sure that we can achieve long-term benefits. So stability and enhancement. Are the messages conveyed by this year's meeting, and I believe this is also a valuable message to the world because stability is also what the world needs. As we've discussed, this meeting was first held at an era when China was crossing the river by feeding for the stones, and from the previous meetings, we can see the stones that has been stepped on. But now I believe that we're not just crossing the river; now we're like on. An ocean of globalization, and China is definitely one of the largest ships on this ocean. And the stability of China would definitely add more certainties to the world, uncertainties, the fluctuations, and the headwinds. And the advancement of China and its growth will definitely be like a beacon light for many other economies that are also being influenced by the. The turbulences on this ocean. So I believe that what this meeting is conveying is 
is not only the messages for people in China, but also for the rest of the world. This year, we also witnessed the normalization of relations between two archrivals in the Middle East, Saudi Arabia and Iran. The world agreed to transition away from fossil fuels at the UN Climate Change Conference, and the Belt and Road Initiative turned 10 years old and had added new growth drivers to the global economy. 2024 has arrived at our doorstep. I and my team deep dive wish every one of our listeners a safe and healthy New Year. We will see you in 2024.